So I want to spend a little bit of time doing that. I want to try a lot of the Midrashim with Kalila before, because then we can move forward. Um, okay, so Parshas Lech Lecha, by way of introduction, okay? Um, no, actually, we're first to the Parsha, and then we're going to go by way of introduction. Then we're going to introduce afterwards, okay? It's going to make sense. It will make sense. So the first thing, this is where we're introduced to Avram Avinu. He's Avram, not Avraham. That's going to happen at the end of the Parsha where his name is going to get changed, where he's, right, Lech Lecha, Hashem tells him, Lech Lecha Ma'artzecha, leave your land, your home, blah, blah, blah. We're going to get back to that. Okay? And he gives him all these kind of great, amazing, he gives him these amazing blessings, and they just pack up and they leave. They go, Avraham and Sarai and Light, who's his nephew, and all their, their um, stuff. I don't know, what's a, what's a better word for stuff? Husham belongings is a way better word than stuff. Um, everything they got and the, the soul, blah, 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 they're going to go on, okay? And so they keep, and their followers also, right? And it says that if you see in, in Pasuk Hay in verse five, it says, mm-hmm. the souls that they made in Haran. And Rashi says that those are the people that they brought under the, as the, the expression goes, under the wings of Hashem, that they convince people of the, of the, uh, the legitimacy of their cause, okay? And um, Hashem gives him blessings of the land, and he builds on his bayah, great. They get to, they get to the land of Israel, and boom, right? Chapter 12, verse 10, what happens when they get to the land of Israel? There is a famine. There's a famine in the land of Israel. Who are the only people who have food? Who, who's the only people that have food? The Egyptians, the Egyptians, right? The Egyptians have their own irrigation system. They have a whole way of flooding the, well, it's actually an irrigation system off the Nile. They had tributaries pulled from the Nile River. So they had a way to have water going across the whole country. The land of Israel is dependent on rain. They had no rain. They had their own water source, which, so Avram is going to go down to Egypt, um, which is also, by the way, just... It's not just physically they had water and they didn't have water, but it also taps into like two very different ways of how do we interact with the world, right? Egypt is the paradigm of we can do this. We got this covered. We know how to do this. We have ingenuity and we have technology and we have know-how and we're going to conquer an impossible problem, right? Land of Egypt, which should not have any real water or so it only has this one Nile River and they figured out how to like get the whole country settled because of the, you know, water because of that, as opposed to Eretz Yisrael, it's always dependent on rain, which means we're always dependent on God. And that's going to be paradigm shifts of how do we interact with the world? Is it like, I can do this or is it like, I'm sure you got to help me. And that's going to be part of the conversation. Anyway, they're going to go, we're going to come back to Avram and Sarah going down to Egypt because it's kind of one of the weirdest stories that are going, well, it's a lot of stories that can take the, take the, uh, 
the the metal for weirdest stories, but that happens to be a very strange story that's going on. We're going to get back to it and look into it in more detail. And we have Abram and Sarah going down to Egypt, and then we're going to have in chapter 13, they come back up after their whole Egypt ex excursion, which we did not discuss, but we are going to discuss. They go up, and Lot is with them. They're going to come up to the south, because remember, they're coming, Egypt is lower than the land of Israel, so they're coming back up. And um, they keep going, and they, Avram and Lot get into this big fight. Their shepherds actually get into a fight, and, and Avram's like, let's, we're going to split. We're going to go, wherever you go, I'll go in the other direction. They, the land clearly isn't big enough for the two of us, so let's figure this out. Where does Lot, who has grown up with Avraham, who has traveled with Avraham, who has... He's his nephew. He's the only family member besides Avram's wife of the extended Terach family who came with Avram. Where does Lot chose, choose to go? Not Hebron. Look inside. In chapter 13, verse 10, 11. Where does Lot choose to go? Mika? No. Chapter 13, verse 11. Where is he going to go? Go wherever you want. Not Jordan. So he goes to Sodom. He decides to go to Sodom. It's on our side of, it's on our side of the border. Not Jordan. He's going to go to Sodom. He's going to see this beautiful, fertile land, and he's going to go to Sodom. Now, parenthetically, the, the Torah describes the people of Sodom later on. Not, not here. Maybe here? Yeah, right here. In verse chapter 13, verse 13, the people of Sodom are described as they are extremely, extremely, extremely wicked, which is an interesting thing when you talk about Lot, who grew up with Avraham, who's had all these travels with Avraham and all this experience with Avraham. The fact that Lot is mentioned by name in the Torah is significant. Any names in the Torah are significant. That means he's not just some schlepper along in the party. He's significant, and yet when the question comes, move away from Avram, where does he go? He goes to a place that the people are known to be terrible, horrible people. Um, and Avram's like, you know, go and whatever, and it's going to be fine. And then after Lot leaves, Hashem uh, has, uh, Avram has another vision, and Hashem, and Hashem tells him that this land that you see, the north and the south and the east and the west, I'm going to give all of this to your children children and your children are going to be like the uh like the dust of the earth come walk this land if you want to know like what are you know here here words for zionist songs come let's walk the land the length and the breadth of the land this is yours i'm giving this land to you and and this is like this is one of the hashem's going to promise it to him a few times in the partial is one of the times that he does it then we have Absolutely, yes. So you said that there was a reason that you mentioned. Was it reason to show that that's not on a high level? Maybe. Or specifically choose to go to the people to elevate them? Everybody, you know, this is the good thing about Torah. We've got lots of opinions. So we have opinions that say the only reason Lode is mentioned is because it, it makes Avram look really good, right? Because we're going to hear his, his all their interactions with Avram and Lot, in spite of the fact that Lot ends up making such bad life choices, um, Avram like is still gracious and helps him and blah, blah, blah. He still calls him my brother, which we'll see later on. And that's one. And the other question is, is that perhaps we, 
what your the second point that you brought up that maybe we are misjudging Lot and maybe he did go to Sodom with great intention, maybe, but we know that it, he does not live up to that at all. Meaning, is it possible to say that Lot learned from Avram to spread the word of God and blah, 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 blah. And so he's going to Sodom to do that. But Pachlis, actually what happens is that he, he fails miserably. And we're going to see that next week's partial when we have the whole situation going on um, with Sodom and whatever, that's next week's Parsha. So, but we could really argue it in both cases. The text is um, neutral to ambiguous about it. It gives a lot of beautiful things about Lot. It talks about how Lot um, gets blessed because he was with Avram and Sarah down in Egypt and he did not, uh, he not, he did not give away the secrets that they were trying to hold on to. Like, we're going to get back to that. He's going to be a very complicated uh, person. He also does not have a, a great end. And and what's his further, further, further end? Here's a spoiler for next week's Parsha. Go further, 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 further. Who ends up coming from Lot? Oh. King David. King David is going to come from Lot. That's going to be next week's you know stories. He personally is going to end up not coming out of that situation looking so good and yet that's going to be the seeds of Mashiach so like it doesn't you know what I mean he can't be all rotten he makes very bad choices and whatever but at the end of the day this is we see this 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 thread of of potential goodness that's going to be pulled out of him coming along the way through anyway then in chapter 14 we have a very 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 long long story about four kings and five kings and this one subjugated those and they were they were ruling them for 12 years and then they start to then they start to revolt and um in the in the ensuing battle uh who gets captured uh was before who gets over here Lot gets captured in chapter 14 verse 11 and 12 um Lot and all his and all his belongings not his stuff all his belongings who he's the son he's the the nephew of Avram he goes and they oh they all go they're sorry yeah they get they get um they at the end of the war they get um they get uh Lot gets captured and Avram comes and it says, Vayishma Avram, verse 14, Kinishba Achiv, his brother is captured. I mean, he doesn't say that loser, he couldn't, why did he go away? He should have stayed with us. He hears that his brother is captured and he pulls his act together and he goes and he's going to, he's going to go to save him, which is going to, we're, we're going to go there. And then we're not going to go into that whole story, but that's what's going to happen. He's going to go and he's going to save him. And then Hamishi, which is today, today's Aliyah, um, the king of Sodom uh, says to Avram to, to give me all the people and take all this wealth and you can have all this wealth. And he says, he's, he's, Avram says that I, I raise my hand to God, that I am not taking anything from you. I'm not taking from a shoelace to a, a thing to, well, however, to tie your, to whatever you use to tie your sandals. It's probably not exactly a shoelace. It's probably something more sturdy and they didn't really have shoelaces, but how do they tie their sandals onto their feet? Um, I'm not saying anything. I don't want you to be able to say that you made me rich. Not happening. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
what I, we do know, because we have in the end of last week's Parsha, um, is that, well, we know that Avram and Sarah are 10 years apart. And we know that uh, Sarah, well, she's Sarai at this point, Sarai and Lot are our niece and nephew of Avram from different brothers. So Avram is the oldest of the three brothers. If there's 10 years between him and Sarah, what's, what's the, the difference between him and Lot? Wait, Avram's the oldest. Of three brothers. Terah has three sons. Terah, Nachar, and Haran. They got married young, I don't know what to tell you. So, but there's 10 years between Avram and Sarah and she is his niece and Lot is his nephew from a different brother. Okay. Um, uh, so we have this. And then, and then, um, and then afterwards we have Hashem comes to Avram and he says, um, don't be afraid that you lost all your reward. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to protect you. Everything's going to be okay. And Avram says, like, he basically says, like, why do you keep giving me stuff? Like, I have no children. Who am I going to give this to? What, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with any of this stuff? Like, great. You're giving me wealth. You're giving me blessings. But, like, I have no children. So, like, how is that at all, at all helpful? Um, and he says, so Hashem says to Avram, uh, I will give you children. And you're going to have a child who's going to inherit. Meaning, he's like, should... Eliezer, who's like, my servant is going to get everything. Like, how does this work? You know? And, um, and Hashem says to him that you will actually have a biological child. And that will be who, uh, that will be whoever inherits from you. And he takes him out and he shows him, this is what we have the, the blessing that we're going to be like the stars in the heaven and Hashem and Hashem who trusts in God. And that is considered as an amazing thing for Avram that Hashem says, I promise you're going to have it. And Avram just trusts. He just like, he trusts that it's going to actually happen. Then Hashem says that I'm going to give you the land of Israel. And which is very interesting. But Hashem says, you're going to have children. He's like, I got it. I trust you, God. When Hashem's like, I'm going to give you the land of Israel. He's like, how do I know? How do you know? How do you, let, how do you, how can you promise that? To me? What's the assurance that I'm actually going to have, uh, that we're going to have the land of Israel, which I guess is sort of implying that the fact that today we are living in Eretz Yisrael and learning Torah is almost, in Avram's eyes, equal or more of a miracle than the fact that we actually exist. Because when Hashem says you're going to have, you're going to have children and they're going to inherit everything, Avram's like, okay, he believes in Hashem. He says you're going to have Eretz Yisrael, and he's like, really? How's that going to work? And and so here we are, living proof. Yes, he wants he wants an assurance. He wants an assurance that it's actually going to happen. And that's when they do this, what's called the bris ben habtarim. They make uh, they take all these different animals. He says Hashem. He says in pasukas Hashem. He says he says to Hashem, How will I know that I will in fact inherit? What's the proof of this? So Hashem says, take all these animals. And they have this a way of making a covenant back in the day. Was they would take different animals. And they would cut them and split them. And the people, whoever was making the covenant would go through. So here Avram walks through and there's a, a fire that goes with him. And this is where Hashem tells Avram, well, he's still Avram. He's not Avram yet. Hashem tells uh, Avram that you should know in verse, uh, verse 13, 
right? Chapter 15, verse 13. Hashem, he says to Avram, you should know your children will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there and they will be persecuted for 400 years. And the, and the nation that, 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 um, no, uh, oppresses them, I will also judge. And afterwards, they will, they will, they will come out with great wealth. And you should come, you should, you're going to end up being in a good time when you come to your, when time, your time comes, you're going to, everything's going to be, but shalom, it's going to be, everything's going to be, you're going to be, when you die, everything's going to be like, sababa, right? And then the fourth generation is going to come back because the Emirates who live in the land of Israel, they have, they have control of the land for four generations, okay? And then it can, it, then it goes on. After this, we have, then that's the end of Okay, and then it talks about, we have a little bit of, they have the covenant of the year. And then, um, and now Sarai says, wait a second, I'm supposed to have biological children and it's not working with me. Maybe we can come up with another plan. And so this is where in chapter 16, Sarai, Aishas Avram says to him, I have this maidservant, I have Hagar who actually, Rashi tells us, was a princess in, in Paro's palace, which we're going to get back to the Paro story soon, and um, have a child with her. Have a child with her, and it's going to be considered as if it's my child, and so it's your biological child. I will have, like, naming rights or whatever, you know, whatever, and um, marry her. And that's what happens. And Avram does have relations with Hagar, and she gets pregnant, and Hagar is like, Rashi Hagar's like, oh, Sarai isn't such a righteous person because she's been living with Avram, who's such a tzaddik for such a long time. She doesn't get pregnant. I'm with him once and I'm pregnant. Clearly, I am more righteous than she is. And once Sarah realizes that there is this, she isn't getting what her position in this house is. She isn't the main wife. It's Avram and, Avram and Sarai are the team, not Avram and Hagar. Um, and it's not just because she's being, uh, um, see, I'm living in Israel such a long time, I remember the word in Hebrew first, Urchushani. Not, not just because she's being possessive, which is a fun word to know anyway. It's not just because she's being possessive. Sarai has the vision of, of what the Jewish people are supposed to look like. And she, ha- she knows what's supposed to happen. So if Hagar is like the, the stand-in for, for, if Hagar is a stand-in for Hagar, if Hagar is the stand-in for Sarai, then Sababa, then everything's fine. But once Hagar oversteps that, then Sarah's like, well, uh, this is not where the Jewish people are starting from. And she is very harsh to, to Hagar, and Hagar actually runs away. And, and, and Hagar runs away, and she says, um, uh, she runs away, she goes to the desert, and she sees an angel of God. Now, I want to just... <laughs> I better just point this out to you, okay? This is not something that happens to us. If somebody today sees an angel of God, we have very good medication for them. But Sarah, but Hagar, who's having her issues with Sarai, is familiar enough with angels that when she sees one, she recognizes, she recognizes that this is an angel. She doesn't think it's a person. She recognizes that this is an angel, whether she saw them in Avram's house or where she knows angels from, or she's on 
enough of a spiritual level that she recognizes the angel and she, and he says and 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 she and the angel says to her um where are you going and you know where are you coming from and she said i'm running away from sarah and so the angel says to her go back and you will have a child um you will have a child and uh and he will also be a great nation um and he encourages very much to go and he says to her, you're gonna have a child you'll call him yishmael because Hashem's here, here's your, your pleas and your plight, your, your, your plight. And um, he's going to be a little bit of a wild person. And, um, and, and so she calls, uh, she calls, she names that place, Hashem, Kel, uh, the place that Hashem, where I saw Hashem and a foreshadow later, 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 when Yitzchak is going to find Hagar for to bring her back to his father, he knows where to find her. This is her. This is going to be her go-to spot to to go to meditate and to connect with God. He's going to actually Yitzchak is actually going to find Hagar later at the Be'er Lachayroi. So this is going to become her space because this is where she had this encounter with the with the angel. Um, Be'er Lachayroi. See in verse fourteen, it's called Be'er Lachayroi, and it's between two points of location, which I don't know where either of them are. And then Hagar goes back. She has a child. She calls him Yishmael. Yeah. So the angel of Hashem said to her, and they will what? I don't know what you're saying. They're going to be a lot. Abundance. They have a lot. There's good. You're going to have a lot, a lot of children and offspring and everything. Um, Abraham, Abraham is 86 years old when Hagar gives birth to when Hagar gives birth to Yishmael. And then the end of this, when Avram is 99 years old, so that means Hagar, that means Yishmael is now, if he's 86 when he's born and Avram is now 99, how old is Yishmael? 13. Okay. He's 86 when Yishmael is born. At 99 years old, Hashem says to him, have a brismila, come and be complete before me. And he makes this covenant with him. And, um, and he and then we have the whole thing about Avram and his whole family getting um, getting a bris and uh, more cub work. Okay, and he changes his name. We have here it talks about that you should that a, that a, a baby should be uh, circumcised at eight days old. This is not where we learn the laws of bris mila from. We learn from later on in Parshas Bezriah. Um and everybody there is going to have a, a child and a all the men in his household are going to be circumcised. Okay. And, um, and then Sarai's name gets changed as well. This is in chapter 17, verse 15. She's not going to be Sarai. Her name is going to become Sarah. He's Sarah Shema. Um, and she will also have a child. And that's where your legacy is really going to come from. And Avram says to Hashem, uh, in chapter, in verse 18, can't Yishmael do this job? Can't we somehow tweak his personality? This is my take on the situation, right? Can't we somehow tweak his personality? He's currently not able to be the father of the Jewish people, but couldn't you, couldn't you do something about it? Like this place of Avram and his, his love and his, his unboundaried love saying, why can't Yishmael do this? And Hashem says that, I hear you, but Sarah's going to have a child and you're going to call him Yitzchak. 
and we're going to have a covenant with him. And Yishmael is also going to be a great nation, but he's not going to be the, the father. This the, the Abrahamic legacy is not going through Yishmael. And I'm going to come back in a year. And that's what they do. They all have a bris and Sarah's name gets changed. And that's the end. Of the, and that is the end of the Parsha. Okay. Now, guess what? We didn't talk about anything in the Parsha, but we have time now. We're going to go back and we're talking about two things that I want to talk about. I want to get back to, I want to get back to Pari. So if we don't get back to, to that, somebody make sure that we get back to that. Um, uh, it, you have a question? Yeah. Sorry, okay. I'm just looking at a timeline. And it says that Sarah's sister of Nahar. Sister? Yeah. She's also a daughter of Nahar. I thought she was a daughter of Nahar. I believe you. Right. Oh, look at that. I thought she was, I thought she was uh, Nachar's daughter. I don't know. We could, we could stand corrected. That would mean that, that Lot and Sarah are sister and brother. Huh? If we, we can look into it. You know, we could totally look into it. If, if, if I'm the only one who didn't hear about this, then you know, I could be wrong, but if a bunch of us haven't heard this, then I'll look into it and I'll see what I come back. There's also, as in classic Jewish thought, there's often more than one opinion. And the question is, whose opinion are they following over here? Um, uh, but I will look into that and I'll get back to you about that. Um, Beseder. So now I really want to, for a second, I want to talk about by way of introduction. Because I know that you started this conversation with Kalila, but I want to back up a second. In, in the Hayyoyim Yoyim, which is a book that the, the Lubavitcher ever wrote about with sayings for every single day. So he writes this, uh, that Lech Lecha is the first truly joyous month because Beresha starts off, wow, creation, it's amazing. And then it finishes with the world is terrible and I need to destroy the world. And then Noah starts off terrible because it starts off with the flood, but then it finishes with Avra. Month? And Truly joyous month? Did I say month? I meant Parsha, sorry. <laughs> thank you for thank you for catching me. Um, uh, Noah is the is the is starts off, uh, but then it finishes um, on a high because Avram is born. And Lechelcha is the first week where every single day we're walking with Avram Avinu. We're walking with our forefather Avram, and that is the first truly joyous month. Now it's thank you. The first truly joyous parsha. I need to get some more sleep. Thank you, Nistar, for keeping me on my toes. Um, so then, if you actually look at the parshias. You wonder why is it broken up like that? Like, doesn't it make more sense? Keep creation in the first parsha. Let Boratius be all about like the whole creation situation and all that stuff. And then the end, where it's like, and the world got terrible and the people were horrible, push that over to Noah. So the whole parsha of Noah will be like, people were terrible, destroy it, and then move Avram's birth into Lech Lecha. Like, keep things more lined up with like a theme. So voracious will be creation, no, it's gonna be destruction. And so so the Zohar tells us that and quoting from Tehillim that Tashem each day is like a thousand years, that each thousand years of creation represent or are are paralleled by one day of each thousand years of the world are paralleled by one day of creation. So if we know that the first day of creation, light was created, it's the mida of chesed, of kindness. It just gives. Kindness doesn't differentiate. It just 
gives and gives and gives and gives. So if you find that first thousand years, let's say from, I don't know if we start from zero or one, whatever, till you're a thousand, people are living crazy long lives. Like the chesed that's going on over there is, is unreal. It's just unbounded chesed. They didn't do anything to earn it. And what happens is, and so what happens at the end of that era, when you can't, when you no longer earn it, you have no way, which we spoke about a little bit, I know, you have no way to do tshuva. You have no way to correct it. All you're doing is saying, give me, you know, Abishar, give me, God, give me, give me, give me, give me. And when that goes bad, so the destruction, the, the, the downfall of the world that happens at the end of Horatius is actually the negative outcome of all that kindness. They just got, they didn't have to earn anything. They just got whatever. Like Hashem just gave and gave and gave and gave. But it wasn't anything that on their own they could attain. They couldn't hold on to any of that on their own. So that's our first, our first parsha. Second parsha, which corresponds to sec, which basically is going to correspond to the next thousand years, right? We know that the flood was in the year 1656 from creation. Um, so that's in the middle of that second millennia, is gonna is gonna correspond to Gura. Gura is like you earn it, you get it. You don't earn it, you don't get it. And that's what happens when the world doesn't earn it, when it's strictly, have you earned it? The result is like there reaches a point where nobody deserves it and we destroy the world. But what is the positive side of that? That's Avram's birth and his first 75 years where he explores and he finds Hashem on his own. That is where like you're, you're earning what, when we do something on our own, the first thousand years are comparable to just being given here, take, 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 right? Somebody gives you information. Somebody wants to say, can I just get like a download of all the information? And why do I have to make the effort to study anything, right? Download information. You can't do anything on your own with it. You, you can't, you can't learn anything more. You're just have what you have. Avram is proof that when you work that second kind of like, you're not going to get, you're going to get as far as you're going to humanly going to be able to get, but it is actually the positive side of that need of Gura, that if you earn it, you have it. And when you have it, you really, really, really have it. And Avram had it to such a degree, like you discussed in class with Kalila, he was willing to put his life on the line for it. He was willing to, to, to talk to strangers in the street about it. He was like, he was a, he was a super activist because he, his conviction was so strong because he found it all himself. He worked on it all himself. But that's not where Avram the Jew starts. Avram the Jew starts at 75 years old when Hashem says, Lechacha, and Avram's like, Yala, let's go. We're out of here. And, and all that he does for those first 75 years, you know, there's a, there's a conversation. And Perkyavza talks about that Avram was given 10 tests. It doesn't tell us what the 10 tests are. So, of course, different different places count. What were the 10 tests of Avram? What were the 10 tests of Avram? So according to one counting, I think from the, from the I think from the Rabbi Yezer, he does count getting thrown into the fiery furnace, which is really a great expression, which we don't use enough. I guess we don't have fiery furnaces, but like getting thrown into the furnace was counted as a test according to different, different play, different Mepharsham. I think the Ramban or the Rambam, I don't remember. I think the Ramban counts the tests um, and he doesn't count it. So there, there's a conversation if it's, it's not in the Torah. We know it's not in the Torah, but the, the all of that, what he did on his own, is is uh, is. Oh, so what he did of those? Sorry, that 
belongs in Noach, that belongs in Gvor. And now notice that right now, time in the Chumash is going to slow down exponentially. The first parsha covers thousand over a thousand years, right? Because it's going to go till it's going to go till the dark flood. The, the first it's going to have the beginning of the flood. The flood is going to be in sixteen. What do we say? Sixteen fifty. 1500 years, the second parsha covers like a bunch of time. And then once we hit Avram, of the next three parshas, Lech Lecha, Vayera, and Chayasara are going to be Avram's story. Yitzchak is going to be a little bit of Chayasara and Toldos. And then the last six parshas, are all going to be about Yaakov and his children. So time is slowing down and the, the conversations are getting. Uh, much more detailed and much more, it's this millennia is going to slow down. This Tiferis millennia, this is the third day where we have both separation um, and we, uh, sorry, we have the waters coming up and we also have uh, um, plants growing. So we are going to have Tiferis is that synthesis of Chesed and Gvura. And this, this millennia is going to culminate. It's going to start with Avram because Avram's actually, anybody know what year? Um, in creation years, and you know, everybody know when Avram was born? What year? It's very interesting. He's born in 1948 in creation years, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and so he's born towards the end of the Gavura millennia, but he's moving into Tiferes, and Tiferes is going to really culminate with uh, with Sinai, which is going to happen in 2448 in creation years. So smack in the middle of the end of the the end of that. Tiferes millennia is going to be the Besamekdash. So that's going to be like really these first couple of parshas is what we're talking about. So now we're talking about Avram and we want to slow down and we want to look at him because this is really where our relationship starts, where, where, we, where we start talking about what are we doing and where are we going and what does this mean to me as a, as a Jew? What, is, or what does all this stuff mean to me? So Chassidus also tells us that the descent of Avraham, uh, well, it's really an ascent of Avraham, to the to Eretz Yisrael is also a reflection of the descent of the neshama into the body. That the neshama, Avram is in a place that he's, Hashem says, you know, follow me and go. And we're going to go to a place that's going to be good for you. And he, he has a lot of trouble. It's not like smooth sailing for Avram over there. And he's going, but this is going to represent the, the, the neshama that's sitting with Hashem. And it's going to, Hashem is telling Hashem, lech lecha, which I think you discussed a little bit about this idea of coming into who you truly are. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. That Lech is coming to this place who I truly am and what I'm truly able to be. And then the Neshama, when it comes down, this is where we make a difference. This is where we can acquire great wealth. And when we talk about great wealth, we're not, we are talking about Avram actually ended up being wealthy, but we also talk about holiness and sparks of holiness and how do we elevate the world around us that's when the neshama leaves this amazing place that it is and comes down into the land of israel um i want to come back to the beginning soon but i want to talk about i think we're gonna run out of time no we're gonna go in order so we don't go we don't get okay before we get down to egypt i want to talk a little bit about abraham okay a couple of really beautiful things that i saw in different a bunch of different uh, svarim. Um, about talking about how Avram is leaving his, how do you become who you truly are? How do you become what you're meant to be? 
when we can put away everything that's telling us what we should be, right? The Eretz, what is the culture of where you come from? What is your desires? What is your innate desire of things that you want to do? Those are all things that are discussed, that are reflected by Artsakha, the land, because in Eretz is etymologically connected to the word Ratzon, to desire. So you both have on the one level, Eretz, what's the culture of where I am? What are people saying that I should do? What's that happening? But also this place of Ratzon, this place of what do, what's pulling me? What's my desires? And how is that, 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 my genetic disposition, for lack of a better word, telling me what I should do and how I should be. So the Artsakha is the first place. We have to say, we don't have to be bound. Let's stick to one thing. We're, we're trying not to do, I just, I realize I'm, I'm confusing myself, so I'm going to stick to one thing at a time. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be bound by what society tells me to do. I'm not going to be, I don't have to listen to what they say. But then what happens, that's like the bigger picture. What happens to Moladecha, the place of your nature and the things that you inherently want to do, and also, what is the family expectation for what I'm going to be doing? And how do I say, maybe that's not what I want to do. Maybe that's not who I want to be. Maybe that isn't who I actually am. Maybe there's something, maybe where I'm supposed to go is different than all of that. An interesting thing is that, um, is that, uh, we know Avodazara is always idol worship, right? We talk about Avodazara, it's idol worship, it's idol worship. What does it literally mean? What does Avodazara literally mean? Strange service, right? A strange service. And Chassid Shesvarim talk about the idea that there could be a service that is strange for you. It's Avodazara Lecha. It's something that for you is strange. It is not you're taking them in hugging or customs or behavior that somebody else's. It isn't actually who you really are. So even though it's a holy thing, it's a good thing. But if it isn't really an effect, you by desire, you are kind of serving. not idol worship obviously because it's you're doing you could it, it, something is missing you know so Lubav used to talk to people when they would come into Chabad he spoke to them very strongly about keeping the the clothing that there was their custom clothing like what did they wear people who came from different Hasidish from different Hasidim who came to become who wanted to become Hasidim of the Rebbe he told them keep your lavush keep your garb that don't just just don't just say, oh, that's not, that's not right. Keep who you are. Keep, there is part of you that that is really who you are. Overlaying, you know, this other stuff that you want to do, but not to like, like throw everything out. Like whatever you want to tweak things. You want to, who am I really? We need to be, it's hard. You know, we, we live in a society that has so many expectations of us and so many unwritten and subconscious you know, messages that we're getting of what we should be and who we should be and what we should act like. Even, even, I'm not even talking about like in a, in a secular situation, but even in a Jewish, what are the expectations for us? And then wait a second, within my service of Hashem, where does it sit with me? Where is my truth? Not, oh, my truth, like I 
don't believe in the, you know, I'm, I'm the flat earth, you know, community like I'm not talking about that but like within Tyra there are different ways to have a relationship with Hashem I need to have a relationship with Hashem that me on a very very real Hashem level because or else I'm doing something that's not not no? okay okay we'll take it afterwards okay? okay that was one thing that I wanted to I wanted to talk about a little bit I also wanted to talk about um uh you have to follow uh you have to follow the Rashi. You'll be able to see it in the Rashi. Okay. Um, you just have to find which one it is, which Rashi it is, because I have it at home. Okay. Okay. So if you take a look in, uh, in, Pasuk base, chapter, uh, verse two, where it talks about that I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. So the, uh, the third, fourth Rashi that says bracha, that you should be a, that you should be a, a, you will be a bracha, a source of blessings, sorry. So Rashi says, that the, does anybody have Rashi? Some of those chumash, chapter 12, verse two, those chumash might be hard to find Rashi. I don't know if they have clear. 12 verse 2. Yeah, you have Rashi? Okay. Okay. So he says um, that you're going to be Rachel. So he says, uh, The brachas are given into your hands. That till now Hashem gave brachas. I gave a bracha to Adam. I gave a bracha to Noah. And from here, you give a bracha to whoever you want. If you open the other Chumashim, you'll see the Rashi. It's easier to find the Rashi in the other Chumashim. Yeah, 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 oh, you found it. Okay, good, you found it. Okay, that's one thing. That's one thing it says. The other thing it says, the Eschel Gagadol, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Zesha Oyrim Eleke Avraham, when we talk about in, in the Amida, in the first bracha, we talk about Eleke Avraham, Eleke Yitzchak, Eleke Yaakov. So here he, he tags each of those. The God of Avraham is what we say. Um, it, when we say Eschel in Shemones, when we say, okay, Avram, that means they're going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you, is when we say, the God of Yitzhak, and I'll make your name great. This is when we say, okay, Yaakov. And following the Rosh, it says, everybody knows in Shemones, in the Amida, at first, when we say, okay, Avram, okay, Yitzhak, okay, Yaakov. So the Gemara asks, can you can you sign off? Can you finish with everybody? Like the Bracha should finish, Baruch Hashem, blessed you Hashem, the God of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. But does anybody remember how does that bracha end? If it's for the first bracha in Shemesri. Okay, Avram, okay, Yitzchak, okay, Yaakov, Baruch Hashem. Magin Avram. It finishes with Magin Avram, right? So the, the Gemara tells us, the bracha, when, when we say that Avram will be a blessing, we will sign that bracha with you and with them. We finish the bracha of the Amida with Baruch HaTashem Magin Avram. And everybody wants to know like what does that mean? So all different beautiful things that I saw and I want to share a few a few thoughts that I saw. First of all uh, I think the, the, the Rav Chitzur said 
that we know that the meat of Avraham is chesed. The meat of Avraham is chesed. He doesn't have boundaries. He gives and gives and gives and gives, right? He just gives. He doesn't differentiate between the idol worshipers and the people. He just gives. He's giving to everybody. So the rupture says that, that the midah of chesed, everything that we get from always chesed. There are times that we look and we say, really, God, this is what you're giving me? Really? How does that work? The rupture says, in the end, everything that we get from Hashem, we will see is really chesed. Even though along the way, it could be this, it could be that, it could be whatever. We don't want to say such kind of words, but it doesn't always feel like chesed. It says the bracha of that that everything finishes with chesed, that whatever comes to us from Hashem, by the end, we see that it was chesed. So that I thought was a very powerful thing. Another thing that I saw was that, um, and I forgot who said it, I'm sorry, I apologize, but it was one of the, one of the Chassidus Rebbe's said that, um, I think it might've been the Kutzker, but I don't remember exactly, that Avraham represents the idea of Gemilas Chassadim. He gives to people, right? We know that the world stands on three things. The world stands on three pillars. The world stands on Torah. Well, Avod is actually prayer. Avod Hashem is actually prayer, so it's on, on Torah, on learning Torah, on prayer, and on Gemilas Chassadim. So Avram represents Gemilas Chassadim. He gives to everybody. Yitzchak, who is offered up as a sacrifice, he actually represents prayer. And Yaakov is considered, he represents Torah. And throughout history, all of those things are the pillars of what the world stands on. And we could also perhaps say that we, the world, each person is a full world. Those are our balancing, uh, balancing beams. Tyra, learning Tyra and davening and doing good things are all the things that keep us, our little world centered as well. But the world as a whole, there's Tyra and there's learning and there's doing So I think it was from the Kutzker who says that there's going to come a time where like our davening isn't going to be like people of a generation used to daven and our, and our learning isn't going to be as deep and as amazing as people of a different generation. But at the end, the media that's going to sort of carry us over the finish line to Mashiach is going to be the media of Avram, the media of Kamil's Chassadim. And one of the things that we see today is the amount of chesed that is being done by Jews across the world and how technology has allowed us to interface with people who are so far away from us. And, and you know, you get a WhatsApp, there's a we're raising money to help this family in here and this family there. We're able we use technology that people who are cooking meals for people and what's happening in the hospitals, the chesed that's going on is unparalleled, even though, yes, we do have a lot of tire learning going on that hasn't been happening in previous generations, but the amount of chesed, the, we have the ability, first of all, people are generate like as a generation, we're not about individuals, but as a generation, we are in a better place financially and we're able to do more but also technologically, we're actually able to connect with each other more and be able to help each other. We're let, once upon a time, you can help the people in your shtetl. Who knew the people in the shtetl over? Nobody, you didn't know anybody over there. But now we're able to hear of people's uh, needs far away and we're able to help with that as well. The other thing that I, and I, the last thing I wanna say about this, and then I wanna to go to power because I wanna talk about that. Um, um, that how do we look at ourselves and how do we, edu- how do we deal with education? You know. 
once upon a time, you know, my mother once bought me a, a parenting book that said, because I said so. I'm like, mom, it doesn't actually work anymore. You can't tell your kids to do anything because I said so. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, once upon a time, you know, spare the rod and spo- spoil the child. Gavura, like, you just have to do it. I said you should do it and you have to do it. And that was once upon a time, the way we, we, we uh, dealt with education and, and, and parenting. And, and, uh, and today, in the times of Mashiach, as we're coming to the end of, of that, the era of we're coming close to Mashiach, the thing that we need the most is the meat of Avram. We need that place of chesed. We need that place of love and caring and kindness and inclusiveness and holding everybody tight in and not saying, we don't need that. Today, we need everybody to be like held in the embrace of their close family, of the Jewish people family, of our communities. We need to be able to hold on to all of our people and shower the people around us with love because that is the thing that is so, 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 so missing in our generation. It's the thing that people, you know, need. Nobody needs to be told you're, you're nothing. They were born knowing that. They, they feel that from, from their bombardment, from social media, everybody else has things better, has their skinnier, their more, everybody else has more than I have, which we all know is not really true, but we, we, we don't need to be told the place that we're failing. I could tell it to you a hundred times better. We have to tell each of us, we have to tell ourselves and we have to tell the people in our sphere of influence why you are beautiful and why you are amazing and why you are worthy of love and why we love you, even if you have no external, like there's no reason, you don't need to give me a reason to love you. That is what our generation needs. Our generation needs inclusiveness and being held in tight. So that is, I thought that was a very powerful uh, and very important thing. We're gonna touch on Avram now for five minutes because then we'll finish with time. Uh, they go down to Egypt and they have a really weird story. What happens when they're going down to Egypt? Sarah in Shady, chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. And no, earlier, sorry, Ella, it's not true, it's not there. Uh, earlier, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, and 10, 11, and 12, and 13. What happened, Sarah? Um, should I read it? Yeah. Go, go to, Ten. yeah. 10, 10, there's a famine, 11. It occurred as soon as God came to Egypt, he sent to his wife to See now, I have known that you are a woman of beautiful appearance, and it shall occur when Egyptians will see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill you, but they will let, but you, they will let live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with you for your sake. Okay. Not so cool, right? Can we just say that? That that as, as a shot story is a not so cool story. It's okay whatever happens to you as long as I'm okay, right? That, that does not, uh, seems more than very weird. Um, the Medrash says, the Medrash says that Abraham saw that there was an angel walking in front of Sarah and he knew that Sarah was gonna be okay and that nothing was gonna to happen to her, that she was much more righteous than he was. He wasn't sure what his situation was gonna be, 
but he saw that there was an angel walking in front of Sarah and that she was going to be okay. Um, you know, I, I, I want to give a little, you don't have to take this one. I think that sometimes as, as women, uh, people feel like they need to protect us by stand behind me. I'll take care of you. And that was not what Avram was saying to Sarah or about Sarah. He was saying she has enough merit on her own. She will be okay. She has a black belt, belt in karate and she is going to be okay. And I don't have to worry about, is she going to come out of the situation? Okay. Or not. Okay. But myself, I don't know about. Hasidus, I don't know if the massage is the situation, but Hasidus has a very beautiful take on the, on the, on the, you know, explanation that sort of makes much more sense to me anyway. Chassidus tells us, and we, we know this, the, the Gemara tells us all the time that mice of a similar button, that what happens to our forefathers is a sign for the children. And one of the things that we, we look at the lives of our forefathers and our, for, and our mothers, everything that happens to them is a lesson for us in Avayi Hashem. And it's going to be really like foreshadowing behavior that's going to happen to us. Chassidus says that Avram and Sarah going down into, into Mitzrayim is going to, it has, there's two different conversations that are going on. Conversation number one, which is also you find in other, not only in Hasidus, um, you have the, the, it's a foreshadowing to the Jewish people as a whole going down to Egypt. When they're going to go down in a few generations, right? And three more generations are going to all go down to Egypt. The fact that the Jewish people can go into Egypt and they will come out not only un, unharmed on a physical level, but they are going to come out like Avram and Sarah when they leave Egypt, they leave very wealthy. The Jewish people are going to leave Egypt, not just, but yes, with physical wealth, but they are going to leave Egypt with so much spiritual wealth that the, 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 the light that they schlep out of Egypt with them, the holy sparks that were buried in Egypt, the fact that we were able to do it when we come down as a nation is because Avraham and Sarah now went down. Sarah goes into Paro's palace and we know the story in the Chumash. Paro is not able to touch her. She's, he's, he, he, the entire household is afflicted and they're not able to touch Sarah. And, and, and Paro said, what's going on? Sends them out with great wealth. The fact is Hashem tells us about the Jewish people when we leave Egypt that the Jewish women were unmolested the times that they were there. And when one of the things we have in the, in the Torah is that when it counts all the families of the Jewish people, it says, um, well, not for Yehudu, because I have it anyway, for like uh, the children of Zerach, Mishpachat Hazarchi, the Ottoman roll the names, right? And Rashi says that Hashem put a hey and a Yud before every single one of the before and after, to make the name of Hashem bracketing the names of the tribes, to say these children are holy children. These are not children who are the who are the subject of their mothers having been raped for 400 years in Egypt or 200 years in Egypt. They are all holy children. Um, and and the, the ability that we have to do that was because Sarah went into Pyrrha's palace and came out unmolested. Hasidus adds another layer to that. It's Avraham. According to Chassidus, Avraham represents the neshama and Sarah represents the body. And the body and the soul together 
need to come on a journey. The Nishama is in this amazing, awesome place. And it comes and it gets bodied. And what's the point of being bodied? To be able to go into the lowest places of the earth, for the body, for Sarah to be able to go into Paro's palace and not only not be affected, but to come out with so much beautiful wealth that now it says that Abraham is wealthy because of Sarah, that the, the, the neshama becomes wealthy because of our journey together. When the neshama and the guf, the body and the soul together, a neshama can't do mitzvahs. You need a body to do a mitzvah. You need a body to give tzedakah. You need a body to eat kosher. You need a body to daven. You need a body to do anything. A neshama by itself could like think about it and have great intention, but the, but the neshama itself cannot do mitzvahs. But when the body and the soul together marry and they are together and they, and they do mitzvahs, the neshama becomes richer because of that experience. We talk about it, a neshama comes down to this world for as many years as we live, we should have a many, many, many healthy, healthy years with lots of opportunities to do mitzvahs. The point of the neshama going back, coming down and then going back after 120 years or whatever, my shoes are 100, it's a really long time, but 120 healthy years, we could do it, right? Um, it's for the neshamas to come back enriched, not to just come back okay or not, not tarnished, but for the neshamas to come back even better and really enriched. And how does that happen? Only through its interaction with the body. When Sarah, when the body is able to go into the lowest places, it goes into Paro's palace, which is like, ugh, and she comes out and she's fine. That gives us, that's telling us that we, in our journeys through life, our body and soul together, where our body is encapsulating our soul, we are able to go to places that the neshama can't go and we're able to bring out great wealth and to enrich the neshama by that experience. I want to give us all a bracha. That this is, uh, this is the first week that we're, we're walking every single day with the first Jew. Um, and we should be blessed to be able to, A, walk this beautiful holy land that we are promised in this Parsha. We should be able to go and walk and, and sing and dance and have ice cream and iced coffee and all kinds of amazing things and learn Torah um, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this land. And, um, and um, to really be able to feel our neshama and body working together. The, the point of, you know, we should not be in conflict our body and soul should not be in conflict with where we should be going and what we should be doing. So I want to give us a bracha that this is the week of Avram and Sarah. We're going to have this, continu this continuation of this conversation for another Parsha, but this, this, the marriage of the body and soul we're talking about here in Chesedis this week, and we should really be able to feel that our body and soul are working in concert and that we end up being enriched body and soul by our behavior. Have an awesome rest of the day and a great job. Thank you.